0: By sort of 2025, they estimate that two-thirds of the world will face water shortages. Why can't we create a solution and really tap into what nature and evolution has been achieving for 3.8 billion years? A lot of great innovations often get stuck in academia because they can't bridge the gap to commercialisation. Right. It's really important that it should be a viable option for people coming out of sixth form or coming out of university to actually think, hang on a second. I don't necessarily have to join a company. I could make my own company.
1: Morning, Jonathan. Morning, Beth. It's lovely to have you here.
0: Thank you very much for having me on the show.
1: My pleasure. When we met uh, about six months ago, your technology and what you've developed is one of the most captivating, uh, creative technologies that I've run across, and I've run across many, many, many different com- companies and um, in the last six and a half years that I've been here in Europe. I'm really interested to hear the story of um, how you got your idea and um, where you are right now with the business, and just to hear how it developed and what you want to sort of create with your business. And so, everyone, this is Jonathan Risley. He's the CEO of Thin Air. Take it away. <laughs> yeah,
0: so we're, uh, we're a startup from Imperial College and we're creating a, uh, a, a new source of water. So by harnessing the water that's in the Earth's atmosphere to condense it down and provide clean drinking water for people who don't have it.
1: The thing that I found really interesting about what you're doing is how you got your original idea. So. Why don't you describe that a little
0: bit? So we we came up with the idea about a year and a half ago, um, and really it was because obviously the world's water crisis is is such a big issue. Uh, we need to have this, this new source or or maybe a, a new approach to it because currently we're not able to to solve the solve the crisis, and obviously the more and more people are um, uh, facing water scarcity and not having enough clean drinking water. So we were thinking, how can we um, approach this from an innovative and a, a new? Um, sort of standpoint really and we we came across the African fog stand beetle the, this <laughs> this beetle lives in the the nabib desert uh, so over in Namibia and uh, in the really dry environment of the desert the beetle is able to survive by condensing water directly from the air
1: but but what do you mean condensing it directly from the air how, how does it what happens
0: so what happens is that the beetle in the morning it would bury itself into the sand um, so it would get cold because the the uh, if you go underground, it's, it's colder than it is uh, above ground. And then afterwards, the beetle would then crawl up to the top of the dunes, and the morning air would sort of pass over it, and this air would be at a higher temperature than what the beetle is. Uh, then, due to the special surface structure and chemistry that the beetle has, is then able to uh, rapidly condense water. So, it really, water droplets that's present in the air are able to to form onto its um, onto its shell, um, and then that. The beetle then leans forward, and all these water molecules cascade off um, into its mouth, and that's how it sort of drinks in what is a really dry environment. So we thought, well, if, if that beetle can do it, then why can't we create a solution that is similar for, for humans and really? tap into uh, what nature and evolution has been achieving for 3.8 billion years.
1: <laughs> so, but, but the beetle, how did you find this beetle? I mean, there are lots, I mean, what? there's lots of different insects out there. So how did you discover it? Uh,
0: so that's, that's a really good question. So um, in terms of we, uh, so I did biotechnology as, as my degree. So I've got a little bit of sort of uh, biology in there, and it, this all sort of links into biomimicry. So... For us, it was uh, reading, reading through the literature and, and seeing what sort of other research has been done out there. And We, we therefore came across the beetle. But what tied in perfectly was when uh, we would started doing. Well, actually, started thin air, a couple of months in David Attenborough on the um, Planet Earth um, TV show did a fantastic documentary, and he highlighted this beetle. Oh, um, so <laughs> that's all, amazing! All, all of the I footage was 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 recorded <laughs> for us, and yeah, David Attenborough did a great job at. Um, really sort of highlighting the the struggles that this beetle goes through, not only to condense the water, but then immediately after, he often gets eaten by a lizard that is sort of sitting in wait. Uh, okay, wait,
1: wait, slow down, slow down. <laughs> he often gets eaten by a lizard?
0: Yeah, so the the it's quite a funny episode in the sense that the, the whole time you, you see the, the struggle that this beetle goes through to get water, um, but then you have this uh, lizard who isn't able to condense water himself, but instead he just eats the, the hydrated beetle <laughs> because it's got all the water on it. Uh, oh so, you, yeah, you, you get to see the whole food chain uh, yeah. in action.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was a couple months after you started the company. And what was your original idea about... Um, um, c- creating or getting water from thin air.
0: So I think in terms of our the way we initially approached it was quite quite novel in the sense that a lot of people come up with uh, potentially a, a solution and then they they look to form the team or bring the team around it. Whereas. We more and more or less sort of formed a team and were like right let's actually come up with a, with a solution for one of these big problems so we were looking at sort of the three main problems that humanity faces so that's um, clean drinking water obviously uh, but also uh, energy demand so as we have this growing population we're going to need more energy to, to be able to meet um, the, the, this this um, the, the, the whole increase in, in population, but as well as the fact that you've got urbanisation and population density. Um, and then also, finally, food, because the more people that are on this earth, the more challenging it then becomes to be able to pr- provide food for them. So those were the sort of the three areas which we really looked to innovate around. And it was a case of thinking, what are our expertise and how can we best bring it to try and solve a problem that actually has an impact?
1: And so when you saw the beetle and the David Adam, Edinburgh um, programme, the team said, that's it, Eureka, we found it, right?
0: Precisely, so it, it all sort of came together and it was the perfect moment. Like we're thinking, yeah, we've got uh, the biology experience, we've got the biotechnology experience, we've also got materials engineers, so it's bringing together our skill set from Imperial to be able to actually create a surface which replicates what this beetle is, is able to achieve.
1: So this was a team of students at Imperial College, right? And yeah. So, and... Um, so they're all just university graduates now. That how long have you had your business now? Uh,
0: so we've been running since October two thousand sixteen. So
1: while well, you were still at school.
0: Yeah. So so we were undergraduates at the time, um, and we've now obviously passed through our. Um, passed through our undergraduates and some of us have done masters as well um, so now everyone's sort of fully fully on board and we've got a sort of full working team and we've also brought some other team members on uh, along the way.
1: So how many people are on the team now? Uh,
0: so at the moment we've got a, a fantastically large team because we've got uh, quite a few um, sort of students helping us over the summer as well from, from different universities but um, so that's nine in total but in terms of the, the, the core team uh, for next year we, we've, we've got four of us.
1: How much... Uh, funding? Have you gotten? You've gotten grants, etc., to start your the company up. You say you know we've got the team growing. You're growing it from Imperial College in London, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got four four people that are sort of. Are you full time?
0: Yeah. So so as of um, sort of the. The uh, summer we now have four people who are full time, so that includes um, a new MBA student who's just come on board, Ben. So he's come on board as a, as the CFO after do- after doing his MBA at Imperial. Then you've got me and Sam, um, who did biotechnology, and then Sam also did a um, a business master's at Imperial. Then you've got Max, who did uh, who did materials engineering. Um,
1: so so where are you now with the business, and what were some of the challenges of getting to this point?
0: Uh, so I think some, some of the challenges that, that we face is, um, as your, your previous question sort of said about um, sort of the finances and how, we, um, how you get going. So for us, it, was, um, it made logical sense to enter a few competitions to really try and gain some traction and to really sort of validate our, our business idea. So we, we entered a couple of competitions mainly based at Imperial and then uh, a few others uh, around London. Um, so we entered 10, 10 in total and had su- um, success in, in all of them. Uh, which was really handy to develop the initial funds that we needed to begin the research. Um, so that that was initial challenge. I think that a lot of startups faces having the finances to to um, actually start something. And secondly, with such a sort of scientifically orientated project, it's always hard to translate sort of science practice into actual, well, theory into practice, into into reality, really. Yeah, Um, to
1: commercialize it. Yeah, precisely.
0: Mm. So that's that's the difference in the sense that a lot of um, great innovations often get stuck in academia because they maybe can't bridge the gap. To commercialization
1: right. so and what, what made the difference for you to be able to do that number one and this next thing I'd like you to just describe is basically how does it work so we know it came from the beetle but we are not really clear yet okay. about what it is you've actually created but first tell me how you address the challenge of shifting to be able to market what you're doing
0: Um, Yeah, so I think in terms of the way in which we've been able to do it is sort of hard work in in the labs. Um, It's it's really made a difference moving into our own labs over at Imperial's White City campus. Um, So having the ability to do our own research and um, actually pioneer that that element of working out how water condenses and what's the best surface to to enable this Um, and that sort of ties in with with what our actual product is so what it is it's a surface that takes these principles from the beetle so the, the specific surface structure and the specific surface chemistry so those two principles which enhance water condensation so that when you put this material in different environments it's able to condense the water from the atmosphere and provide clean drinking water. So uh, at the moment we're integrating it within something called a water generation machine. So these uh, machines are able to be placed at different locations around the world and provide clean, clean drinking water. Um,
1: uh, what are the conditions you need to actually extract the water from the air?
0: Um, so the 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 great thing is about ninety three percent of the earth has a high enough humidity to be able to condense water. So the the higher the humidity, the higher the temperature, uh, the more uh, the more water is actually held in by the air. But I think um, in terms of even in sort of dry locations, we our technology can work about right down to 40% uh, re- relative humidity.
1: And 93% of the earth has that 40% relative humi- humidity at least?
0: Yes, at least. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, that's great. So what's sort of the most important thing that you've sort of learned along the way that you think other people that are starting their business should, should know? I know that I, we met um, as part of the... Um, EIT Climate Kick Accelerator that's connected to Imperial College, right, Mm -hmm. with um, Andrew Burford and um so you were part of that accelerator did that make a difference to you or or what what was the what, what sort of the advice you'd be giving to some
0: yeah so i think in term, the the climate kick accelerator has been incredibly useful for us not only for the advice from andrew and uh, and from yourself along the way um but also it was a, it was a great opportunity for some more grant grant funding um, I think for us, what's been really valuable and one of the big lessons is, like, don't underestimate how important your, your sort of network is. So we've been able to, as we've gone on through through different competitions, uh, meet obviously a lot of investors, but also people who are just happy to help a good cause on the way. So it's great to be able to um, call upon our network and they're, they're able to help us find connections, find different market opportunities. So for us, that's been that's made our journey much, much easier, having these people who can open doors for us.
1: Alright, right. And um, what sort of doors have been opened for you?
0: That's a very good question. Um, so I think in terms of um, exploring different markets, so we've got some fantastic connections with, with charities over in, over in Africa and we're now starting to, to speak to individuals over in the Middle East as well. And so sort of all of these... Markets are ones which not necessarily we had connections in previously, but through um, just through developing this network and sort of sharing our idea and our ambition and our product, we've been able to people have thought yes, I can actually help them on the way, and here's the connection to to do that. So yeah, hopefully it enables us to an easier route to market.
1: And um do you have got your prototype done, you're in production for your you know for your product of creating this it's a membrane right mm-hmm. It's a membrane that you can attach to anything right
0: yeah so it's uh, it's it's the, it's the surface principle so you've got the, the, this membrane, but we've now um, integrated that onto uh, onto a metal surface so with this aluminium sheet you've got much more longevity associated with it um, so therefore it's much more robust and can be deployed in, in different environments. We've yeah. Over the summer, we're now doing live demonstrations of it um, in the UK, but then also over in Malaysia as part of the X Prize Water Abundance competition.
1: So you were, um, were you? What was your sort of role on the X Prize like? How many people do they consider, and where were you in the sort of the final?
0: Yeah, so so the X Prize is is a great competition that they they have many different disciplines. So so what's the name of this
1: particular X Prize competition? Uh, the
0: X Prize Water Abundance. Water Abundance. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the the principle of it is perfectly aligned with, with what we're doing. So it's all about atmospheric water generation, and really. It's, it's been able to create the, this, this new source of water, as, as we've been uh, talking about. So initially, 100 teams entered the competition, and based on the initial phase one results, so you had to just submit results on how your technology is performing and all the principles of how you're going to be getting this water from the air, and um, that was over in January, and then they selected the five teams um, and announced them in March. Uh, and we were one of the the lucky five teams to get through to the final, um, where we're now able to uh, demonstrate it on this this global platform.
1: And when when are you gonna be doing that?
0: Um, so the demonstration date we have is the first of October. Um, That's over exciting. In, yeah, precisely. <laughs> so we'll be able to go, go We'll be able to go out to Malaysia. Um, and actually demonstrate it in, in sort of perfect environmental conditions as well.
1: Right, and so and your team is your super young team, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So and how has that
1: worked for <laughs> you or against you? Doesn't sound like it's worked against you at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, so I think yeah. So so for us, it, it hasn't. Uh, I don't feel it's, it's ever worked against us in the sense that, <laughs> but uh, because we're young, we're able to move fast. We're, we're learning as we go, and I think also the fact that. We, we don't have any previous experience of this, but I think by doing it for the first time and maybe not having that inhibition, because we don't, we don't have a reputation um, which we have to um, try and maintain, we're just trying to uh, develop the brand and just improve upon every sort of step we, we, we take as we go. So I think, yeah, be, be, being young in some senses has, has really helped us.
1: Yeah, it's like um, <clears throat> you don't know what you don't know and you can be more fearless because <clears throat> you don't have preconceived idea about thinking this isn't going to work etc so there's no sort of limits you can just go for it right <laughs> I see. Go for it. so um, tell me a little bit um, about what was happening at the time when we first met when I was doing the pitch coaching for the group of teams so in your business
0: yeah so back in so that so that, that was back in March so I think we we just moved into our, our labs over in over in White City um, and at the time it was still very much um, trying to develop the first lab proof of concept um, and also it was really developing our, our story and, and ha- how we tell our story so that, that's where you, you came in brilliantly and able to in us to sort of tell that story and really sort of hope, hope captivate people so we can get uh, bring people in with with what we're trying to achieve.
1: Yeah and um, how did um, our work together challenge any assumptions you had about pitching like what did you think it was going to be when you came in versus when you left?
0: Um, so I think Having uh, as soon as I sort of heard about this this pitching opportunity, I think there's we we've had previous experience and people have tried to sort of help us on the way. And obviously, I'd had a little bit of experience pitching in different competitions, so maybe I was uh, a little bit skeptical in terms of what else can what else can I learn. Like I think pitching is probably surely I've learned everything by now, but I think um, it really sort of opened my eyes in the sense that they're getting this this whole new perspective. It sort of um, reinvigorated my. Uh, my my passion and the fact that you need to be able to really convey that to somebody. Um, I think it, you can easily get complacent if you've if you told your story what, 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 yeah, over and over, over. again it seems, it seems like you're always telling the same story right. but for the person who hasn't heard it previously right. you need to come in with that with that same passion every time so right. I think um, your, your pitch session was, was really useful in trying to um, bring that out again.
1: Yeah. yeah it's true when you have to repeat it time after time it can get to sound sort of um, rote and uh, almost canned and you have to be able to connect your head and your heart together each time so that mm-hmm. it comes from your heart so that people see that you have the, the passion and you and you did that beautifully it'd be great if you could just give me some idea how if i challenged any of your assumptions about pitching and what pitching is and possibilities for getting different results
0: i think in terms of um for us you you, you definitely did sort of cha- challenge my my assumptions and how i think it was a case of um just becoming so much more um comfortable in sort of trying to translate what is potentially quite a tough sort of scientific um, area to try and convey that to mm. to the general public and trying to make it so that even um, anybody can really understand it and buy into the idea so uh, breaking it down into into simple steps is, is, is what we did and uh, you sort of emphasize right that that's the key point there really emphasize that bit that that's too much detail in the sense that you, you're, you're, you're losing people it's too much jargon so I think um, simplifying it down was was a, was a key step that that we sort of did in, in that process and really making it so that um, anybody can, one, in a short amount of time, understand the severity of the world's water crisis to what, the current problems are and how we are solving it differently. Um, to, to so, how people. severe
1: are the current wa- water problems?
0: So, yeah, it's it's a huge issue. So, you've got eight hundred forty-four million people who currently lack access to, to clean drinking water. But by sort of twenty twenty-five, they estimate that two thirds of the world will face water shortages.
1: In in um, in seven years.
0: Yeah, in, in seven years. So, just a short amount of time due to climate change, sort of expanding population further contamination of groundwater and, and things like that, the, the problem is just going to get even more severe.
1: And um, your solution, what sort of percentage of the problem do you think you could potentially address?
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's a really uh, good, good question. So I think in terms of the, the answer will come from multiple technologies coming together, and not one solution is going to be able to provide the, the whole answer. So we need to be able to provide um, not only our source of water from the atmosphere, but uh, develop better filtration technologies, better ways of harnessing the water from, from rainwater and and, uh, and things like that. So I think it will be great if, if our solution can have uh, a small percentage um, impact on, on this global problem. So, but, because we're working with such large numbers, just a small percentage means millions upon millions of people.
1: Right, and from what I understand about your technology, this, the membranes can be attached to um, anything: a, a greenhouse, a regular home, a camping, a tent. The side of a tent behind you. I saw uh, behind a solar panel. Um, Mm, array of solar panels so that it can, the water can then get, be collected and then go over to sort of irrigate sort Mm -hmm. of gardens nearby or something, um, or crops nearby. And the thing that I'm interested in hearing is uh, sort of the quantity of water that you can get so is it my initial impression was that the amount of water you could get would just be enough for like one person or a couple of people a little bit of water but actually how much water can you actually extract from the atmosphere with these S- membranes?
0: Yeah so in in terms of those, those technologies they're sort of the the, the passive technologies which, which which has the potential to, to be developed so those ones don't rely on any, any energy input so they're just providing just that favorable surface for for water to collect on them so in terms of the the quantity there'll be much lower quantities than say if you you were to put energy into the system but hopefully something like a uh, if you were to put it on a billboard uh, which put put the membrane on there you could be able to achieve hopefully about 70 liters um, per per day um. and
1: 70 liters would, would be enough water for how many people per day
0: Precisely. So I think uh, in terms of having enough water for um, a, a whole family or, or, or a very small community um, within that within that setting. Um, but some of the products which we're looking to develop at the moment is ones where you've got sort of uh, integrated solar panels and uh, integrated clean clean energy sources. And one of the requirements of the X Prize competition is to produce two thousand liters per day. So such l- much larger quantities of water are able to provide um, for much more. Uh, many more people in the sense that if if the UN states that so we need about seven liters per day uh, as a, like a global requirement. In seven or 70? Seven. So seven, seven, seven liters is, is what you need just for your drinking and your food. Per Yeah. Seven
1: so, liters per day per person is yeah. what the UN says. Yeah. And you can, your the XPRIZE is asking you to provide 2,000 liters yes. per day? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm. And can you do that?
0: Yeah, precisely. So I think we, we, we definitely can achieve this. So our our results in the lab show that we can have that sort of four times increase um, in water generation um, efficiency. And now it's the case of um, really proving that. Once integrated into a air-to-water uh, m- machine.
1: I remember the day, a couple of days when we were working together. You had to leave because you were going to 10 Downing Street. So t- tell me what happened. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's that's a very good memory. So uh, yeah, so uh, we had the fantastic opportunity to, to go to 10 Downing Street. So that was um, that was an opportunity um, provided by the Enterprise Nation. So they were we initially entered their competition and won Student Startup of the Year and. Um, <laughs>
1: For enterprise nation for yeah, all for, of the UK
0: yeah so it was it was a sort of a, a national competition so I was lucky enough to be on the judging panel uh, this year of it um, because and, you won last year yeah, yeah. So, so because you won last year but they they, they provided a fantastic opportunity to meet the uh, business advisor of Theresa May and really sort of speak about how um, students can. Try, try and get a voice and try to go into entrepreneurship and I think it's, it's really important that it should be a viable option for, for people coming out of sixth form or coming out of university to actually think, hang on a second, I don't necessarily have to join a company, I could make my own company and there's plenty of opportunities there at the moment for, for funding for this and it's just raising awareness that this can be a, a, a job opportunity as well.
1: Yeah, so what's next for you?
0: Um, so, next, it, it's, it's a really exciting co- um, couple of months coming up, really. So, one, we've got this um, X Prize demonstration over in Malaysia. Uh, but, two, I've been invited to the World Economic Forum um, over in China. Wow.
1: Um, that's, as, that's wonderful. <laughs> congratulations. As, uh,
0: as, as part of Imperial's got uh, a, few, a few tickets available. So, they sort of selected us, and we'll be able to have an opportunity to, to meet some of their Chinese partners. Um, as well as we're into the final of the the Tommy Hilfiger um, challenge which is all about how to reduce water within the supply chain and within the textile industry so there's a perfect alignment there. Um, so yeah, we have a, a few a few opportunities coming up. It and, sounds uh,
1: wonderful. <laughs> I, I think
0: I think the great thing about having a startup is that every day is different. Every every week you've got different opportunities arising. It's just such, such an exciting time.
1: Yeah, and um, what what about your funding? What you've got? Do you have enough for a runway for the next year or so, or what do you, what do you need?
0: So in terms of our our next steps, it's definitely um, finances and raising around is, is definitely on the, on the horizon as well. It's really off the back of the, this demonstration cause I haven't have having, improved having it that sort of de-risks uh, the company in, in, in a lot of senses and hopefully uh, makes it viable that look we've, we've got this technology we're ready to scale it we just need that extra influx of money to, to be able to achieve that
1: that sounds wonderful well thank you so much jonathan it's been great talking to thank you. you very much and Beth. i wish you well with everything <laughs>